listening Starshot, a Cortex actual play. I'm Kirby, your host and game moderator, and this is another Corbin Jones chapter. Sunrise finally comes. The night that you had last night was, to put it in a way, buck wild, right? You were dealing with these rhino beetle creatures and some small town in the uh, wilderness here, and being a man of the wilderness, Corbin, you know that you know these small towns aren't rare. Uh, that was perhaps the biggest setup that you've seen, and it was even that large. All that said, uh, you find yourself with a more fuller camp. You see Carl sitting on the log back turned toward you, uh, just staring off into the tree line there. You see uh, a pair of new faces that you had encountered last episode where uh, you have Rio who is currently snoring up a storm uh, and you have uh, Jess who at this very moment uh, is also just very groggily getting up and sleepily like heading over to the tree line. The first thing uh, I want to do is talk to Carl and ask him how he got away. I know that uh, when we last saw him, he broke the window of the car or some vehicle to lure the rhino creatures away. So I'm, I just want to make sure that uh, he's all right. You head over to Carl, slowly turns his head to regard you and says, Good morning, Corbin Jones. You're up pretty early. Uh, after last night, I didn't sleep too much, Carl. How'd you make it back to camp? That thing was really after you. I traveled several miles to the northeast of that location and then doubled back. I was able to lose it uh, in the streams. These creatures, their territory are typically marked uh, by water boundaries. That said, it was not a very pleasurable run, nor was it without its consequences. And it's at this moment that you realize just like how banged up his uh, good arm is. Um, As we recall, like he has a he has the one arm that is for like more of a construction or manual labor based spiroid uh and then he has the other like normal arm and he is like very much still like a biroid like he still has some of that like synthetic skin so it's a very much like mismatched arms that he already has here and his good arm his normal arm that's supposed to be part of his model it basically looks like a uh, fractured wrist, right? Uh, both figuratively speaking as an equivalent for a biroid, but also uh, literally because uh, this is also, this the part of the body where he has some of that synthetic skin and it looks like he broke his wrist. I don't know if it's an emergency, Carl. I know we talked last night about, you know, me not poking around you, but if you want me to take a look at anything and uh, return some of the function, I, I can do that. He picks up the arm, uh, even though like one of the four fingers seems to also just be kind of broken. And honestly, that kind of looks a little jarring. You know, it twitches and he says, no, this will do for now. We are not too far from the circle. And frankly, they'll be able to give me more suitable repairs there. That is not to say that your work isn't good, Corbin Jones. <laughs> no, I don't mean no, to no, insult no. you. 
No, no. I, I, I totally understand. You you got the you got the people you trust. Well, let me put it this way. You should choose who you want to work on you. And that that's all there is to it. I take no offense. He gives you a nod and he glances back over to the small like camp that you have here. And um, you know, that's when uh, Jess is now returning from the trees, yawning, stretching, uh, and squatting down by the pit where a fire was previously placed. I think the ne- the next question we have, Carl, is figuring out what do we do with these two. I'm sure three humans in the circle is not going to go over well. So let's let's figure out what to do with these kids. He nods, man. Getting up, he says, "I do not know these humans, uh, Corbin Jones, but." If you trust them, then I will trust them. But however, we've only just met, and there's supposed to be a room for folks such as ourselves at the circle. Uh, we just need to make sure they're a good fit. Do you uh, have a way that you typically do that? No, not particularly. Okay. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk to Jess here, see what she has to say. I want to go over and talk to Jess, see why they were out here. When you approach her is currently working on getting the fire going. Uh, it seems that in her own rucksack that she was carrying around, you know, she has like a small pot and uh, like a flask of water. And it seems like she has like a bag of coffee grounds. Yanni again, uh, while squatting next to this fire pit. And she doesn't really notice when you uh, come up from behind her. Uh, Jess, who was it? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's up? I guess my first question is, I mean, I don't want to pry too much into your uh, business. What the hell were you doing in a in a rundown place like that? Rio and I, well, uh, well we're, we're cousins, right? Um, his father supposedly lived there. Uh, they hadn't seen each other in quite some time. And, um, you know, when Wes Sands started going to hell, um, he decided that we should probably trek out and try to find him. What's uh, what's going on in West Sands? She kind of squints at you. She's uh, unsure just how long you've been camping, and she kind of turns it around on you. She says, um, well, uh, I don't know. How long have you been away from the city? How long have you been hiking out here? Let's just say I avoid cities whenever possible and, and don't have the most current up-to-date news. What I know is... Things everywhere is going to hell, and I just want to see how bad it is before I walk into something I don't want to walk into. <sighs> well, um, where to start? And she's scratching the back of her head and pulls away um, some leaves that she just knows were there in uh, the entanglement that is her hair that's uh, <laughs> currently drawn up. She says, well, the aspiration, you, you know, the big... Uh, yep. Arc that's supposed to carry us from this place uh, exploded. Say they're saying engine malfunction, and I don't, I don't really know. Um, then the space station, the the renewed, was somehow knocked out of orbit. I wasn't paying attention at that point uh, because, frankly, in the time between the aspiration explosion and the renewed coming down, uh, there were riots on the street. It started with a vigil, uh, which, you know, Rio Rio and I were supposed to go to, but frankly, we kind of overslept on our nap. Uh, And um, 
it's probably better that we didn't. I heard that it got pretty wild on the streets over there. And next thing we knew, uh, there were all sorts of people just on the streets, smashing windows. And uh, some of them, it's like from one of those old like Earth movies, you know, when when there's a big prison break and all the prisoners come out. But I was seeing peacekeepers and walking side by side by some of these looters and just kind of seemingly cherry picking who they were going to arrest. And I don't know, Rio freaked out because, well, I mean, frankly, we have a bit of a record. We're not, we're not serial killers or anything. (laughs) We just, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes I can't help, but to, uh, take a little bit of a discount. I see. Uh, I'll put it that way. From where I sit, you're in the woods now, so I don't really care what you've done as long as you're not going to stab me in my sleep. So, But as far as you've mentioned Rio's father being in that, in that town, I don't think anybody was in that town. What were you hoping to do once you found him? I don't know. Camp out. Um, that town, it's, that's probably, the way Rio says, it's one of the first towns that uh, was built outside of stepping stone and west sands um you know they're such just like a small community of people who want to stay and uh, frankly just live off the grid and i don't know rio grew up there i had never left west sands except for a couple of trips to stepping stone and um yeah i'm not sure where we would have gone off next we just wanted to kind of regroup with the familiar most of my family's in stepping stone and you know rio's dad was all he had uh, besides me do do you know what happened to him i mean is he somewhere else are you moving well i guess we should ask rio when he wakes up but i i guess what i'm what i'm trying to ask is what are your plans now obviously his father wasn't there yeah uh, we didn't find anyone there uh, rio said he last visited about two years ago and yeah, that place looks like it had been abandoned for quite some time um I don't really know what our plans are. Uh, I'll need to figure that out when Rio wakes up and he is a super heavy sleeper, but he usually gets up early. All right. Well, I think we should talk to him. So if if you can get him up, I I think we should uh, be moving on. We don't know what else is around here. If those creatures come back or other creatures figure out where we're at, we should... uh, we should get our food in us and, and move on as quickly as possible. Yeah, sure. Would it be okay if we tagged along? Where, where are you two heading? I kind of look over at Carl to sort of get his read on how much I should tell them. Carl is standing kind of over your shoulder, uh, just like five feet off. And, you know, he's doing a sort of like very awkward thing. Like he's trying to pretend like he's not listening on the conversation. <laughs> so he's just kind of looking at the trees and kind of doing stretches that he doesn't need to do stretch uh, stretches for. And yeah, when you look over to Carl, he, he pretends to be surprised. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, Oh, Oh, Oh uh, yeah. Um, Corbin Jones and I are going for a walk to the beach. What did, what did she say to that? Uh, well, you know, I love talking to myself. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, she, I think she says, um, well, I've never seen the ocean before. If Rio doesn't have any other lead, sure, uh, as long as Carl doesn't mind you tagging along for our walk, you can come with us up to the up to the beach, and then 
you can decide where you're going to go from there. She nods. At this point, she has gotten her coffee brewing. Uh, and, you know, this actually smells like good coffee. When was the last time you had good coffee, Corbin? I don't even think he remembers. I mean, probably years ago when he lived among people in towns and stuff, you know, working for the foundation. So he probably doesn't come across coffee too often. Okay. How do you generally spend the time that you're waiting for Rio to get up in like the next like hour or two? I would like to check out because we really haven't stopped since we we got it. I want to make sure that the environmental suit is working properly. I'd probably make sure my equipment, you know, whatever hunting knives Corbin has, whatever equipment he has, the telescoping staff is working properly. Just making sure. I actually, he might also, since we're in the woods, take a look around for like different herbs and stuff he could collect in case something happens, um, you know, medicine or whatever. Okay. So he wouldn't just be sitting in camp. I think he would be preparing for whatever unknown could be coming next. Uh, let's go ahead and have you do the first roll of the episode. Uh, we're going to roll survival plus mental and then probably French world survivalist. Yep. Um, and the difficulty to beat is 11. Whew. Off to a good start. Yeah, I mean, I got it, right? But uh, No, you don't got it, because you, you have to beat the total in order to be successful, right? So you got an 11, and I rolled an 11. So uh, um, on top of this, it looks like you got a hitch. So uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to give you a plot point. So update that, and I'm going to buy that D8 from you. For our listeners at home, we started with a pair of d6s for the danger zone this time around uh, because you know it's a little bit of a slower start to the episode uh, we're no longer on the run or doing crazy stuff uh, and now I'll be adding a d8 so i think what happens here is um yeah you don't really find like a significant amount of herbs um at least not in the quantities that you would need to do anything with for any of the ideas that you would normally for any of the things that you would normally use it for. That said, inspecting your equipment and the like, you do notice that the telescoping staff uh, has been uh, damaged a little bit. It's nothing too uh, crazy, and we're not going to have a complication spin out of this, but just FYI, your telescoping staff has been damaged a little bit. In addition, you're frankly running low on food supplies again, Mm -hmm. not so dire that we're going to make it into a complication, but uh, these are the things that you notice as you're taking stock and uh, also trying to take in the surroundings. When you finally return back to the camp that Rio is finally up sharing some coffee, which by the way, uh, Jess would have offered you some of that coffee. Oh, I, I definitely take it. Yeah. I think it is what certain people in my real life would describe as sort of a <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts uh, coffee, uh, which okay. is a very sweet, uh, but not necessarily yep. good coffee. Yeah. Which I guess we just lost our Dunkin' Donuts sponsorship. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it, it basically tastes like that. I think uh, I, just for just for a little flavor, I think Corbin takes a sip of it and it's just so sweet like god yeah like (laughs) he's like 
man, I, I okay. <laughs> that is some sweet stuff. Yeah. Rio's finally up. When you return to camp, you know, they're uh, talking by the fire, sitting close to each other, but doing that kind of yell whisper, as it were, sounds like they're having arguments. Uh, and from the bits that you're catching up, just incidentally, as you're like approaching, right? You know, it sounds like Rio wants to go to Stepping Stone. Uh, and not travel with the man that, you know, could be the rumored fringe world serial hobo. killer. Yeah, murder yeah. hobo. Uh, and uh, Jess is like, he's he seems very nice. We should just go. Uh, wh- we don't have anything as Stepping Stone. And so that argument is kind of uh, playing out right now. And uh, it seems like tempers are kind of getting heated in the sense that Rio is just slowly starting to lose his shit and and jess is kind of just on the defensive really yeah i think i think if if corbin is walking into the camp right and he hears something about a murder hoba i think he would speak up i said you know i've heard this term murder hobo like three times now from three different people i have no idea if it's me but if I was a murdering hobo, don't you think you'd be dead by now? I think the argument like uh, stops and there's a yeah. pregnant moment here where you can hear the sound of, uh, you know, something dropping. And Jess is just kind of um, glad to have the break in the argument. Rio, yeah. however, is kind of like looking at you wide eyed and says, well, well, I don't I don't maybe I, I don't know. That, that sounds like something a murder hobo would want to say you know would i have saved you from the creatures last night if it was me that's what i'm asking you like you just got to have a nice sleep you know we took turns taking watch and you got to sleep which is fine i'm used to it i live out here but come on i think he's kind of quiet for a second looking down at his coffee and says look man we just we just met you and you're roid over there and there's talk of going to the beach and I I don't know. I'm just really stressed, man. That's fine. Nobody's forcing you to come with us. I just offered it. We don't know you either. And that's fine. That's what it takes to survive out here. If you can get help where you can get it, you do that. But nobody's trying to force you into something that you don't want to do. Least of all me. I don't really give a shit where you go. I just told Jess where we were going, and if she'd like to come along, she can. Where I go, Jess goes. And he kind of stands up, you know, setting down his coffee, very declarative, and it's kind of hard to tell where this bravado is coming from, but uh, this this seems to be just the kind of stance uh, going. And, you know, Jess is like, I'm 20 years old, I can make my own decisions. And Rio's like... <laughs> you'd rather go off with this person who may or may not be the murder hobo and to come with me, the guy that you went to grade school with. Jess told me a little bit, Rio, but I want to hear it from you. What, what was your original plan? What were you doing when you led you both into a, basically the territory of those rhino things? Uh, I think, and you know, you don't have to do this. Uh, but um, I think what this is going to lead into is a contest because his response is going to be trying to figure out like 
where exactly you and the spyroid is going and presumably you know you want to still keep the circle specifically a secret yes and you want to know uh, his deal right and he's he's trying to de- defend that so this is uh, to me a sort of contest and if you're willing to engage in that contest you'll need to pick up some dice that's fine i will want to do that just simply because we're not we're doing a lot of conversation and not a lot of rolling first of all so that's fine with me. I also think that it makes a lot of sense because I already know what they were doing because Jess told me. I just want to know what his perspective is on it. This isn't without his benefits. Uh, if you went out in this contest, you may find out more information beyond what Jess has told you so far. Yeah. So, okay, great. Uh, yeah, go ahead and pick up some dice uh, since you're, uh, you'll be leading this contest, uh, which means you'll make the roll before knowing what the difficulty is that stacked up right. against you, right? I'm just looking. So obviously it's going to be a social role. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, am I tr- do you, would you say this is influence? Yeah, I would say this is influence. Uh, and then one of your distinctions, uh, going forward, uh, I think we've traditionally just uh, made it to where it's attributes plus uh, skills that you have to roll. Uh, but going forward, I would like to... Um, always include a distinction and if you don't have a good distinction to use um, just use that special effect uh, that first bullet point there and just take a plot point and roll a d4 if you feel like you don't have a good distinction to use in a given situation yeah i mean i'm looking at my distinctions right and and on the run definitely doesn't do anything Uh, yeah company man is only for bioroids um but I could, I could swing it, I guess, and then fringe world. The only thing would be, if I'm if I turn this into a survival sort of like I'm trying to gather information. Yeah, but if I were going to try to use what I know of influencing on bioroids, I would probably just make this a D four from that. Does that does that work? Yeah, that works. Oh wait, I can't do anything with my plot points now to to take this away because that's a that's a one. Yeah, you can't no, no matter what I do. Uh, so right now, uh, you have a total of nine. Uh, you rolled a hitch, so you just have a effect that is assumed to be a D four. This makes sense though. He's not really good at social situations. Yeah, no, this makes perfect sense. And you know, frankly, like hindering your French world survivalist is working for you because this kid thinks you're some serial killer. So I'm going to uh, go ahead and give yourself another plot point. I'm going to buy that D four to uh, turn one of my D sixes into a D eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rio is ultimately a minor character, so he's not going to have the strongest dice pool, but we'll see uh, what we have going on here. Uh, so he's going to get a pair of D8s and then a third D8, actually. So he's going to get three D8s. Okay, so uh, he's going to have a total of... Oh, wow. Uh, so we're off the bat. Uh, he loses his roll. So you had set the stakes to nine. He only rolled an eight. Uh, and I am not going to be spending uh, out of the danger zone to win this roll. It's not that big of a deal. But uh, that said, you know, he picked up dice. So he does get a complication as you win the roll. So uh, first and foremost, uh, what's winning this roll mean to you? And what do you want to like name that complication? Remember, like complications can be anything, right? It could be emotional. It can be um environmental etc 
I don't know if this would be a complication, but my aim is to sort of get him to see that um, that I am not the threat he thinks uh, I am. Um, and so maybe uh, what I, I want, I want him to start doubting himself, doubting that what he thinks is correct is not correct. And maybe I could be telling the truth. Okay, sure. Or at least have have his have some of his interests at heart. Like I really don't care. I don't think Corbin would care much what he ultimately decides to do. But I also don't want to send him off knowing that he knows nothing about how to survive out here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not an I'm not a monster. I just like I'd rather not talk to people a lot. To kind of transition back into the role playing of this, you know, uh, we only heard your your side of it, but um, his retort basically been uh, has been like, "Look, man, I'm just a kid. Yep. You know, I I'm not the one that's living out in the woods, potentially murdering people who are trying to pass by." <sighs> and he's just kind of exasperated. And as you as you say, like you, you can start to see the doubt in his eyes he looks away uh kicking off at some dirt uh right and pinches the bridge of his nose says oh i'm sorry so what what's the specific information you want to get so i wanted his version of events just told me that they were looking for his father right i wanted to know so he he had just used his bravado to tell corbin that he she you're gonna go with him this unknown and i'm the not the one who you know protects you basically and i kind of questioned him well what were you doing in a town that was full of creatures that were going to kill you yeah he's pinching the bridge of his nose and he says i was looking for my dad uh he used to i used to live around that town um but apparently that town's been abandoned for a while and i don't know where he is or where he's gone off to to be honest we didn't leave on the best of terms Mm-hmm. When we found the town and the shape that it was in, I was, for one, trying to figure out what what happened. But two, I was trying to find out where he went off to and if maybe he left some of his equipment. Equipment? What did your father do? Well, he used to work for Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when it was Reinhardt Industries, before they did the rebranding. But afterwards, uh, he kind of maybe went on the lam for a little bit. <laughs> I understand that. He used to help he used to help clones and biroids get to this kind of safe haven and mm. uh there's supposed to be this sort of I don't know, doohickey he used to have that uh, would help him find such a place, you know? Who who is your father? Like what's his name? I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> what is Carl's reaction to this news? Because this sounds very like very similar to what we're trying to find. Also, yeah, yeah. So he, uh, so first and foremost, um, you know, Carl's reaction. Uh, he's back sitting on that log on the outskirts of camp. This time, he's uh, kind of face inwards, and you know, he, even though he's like twenty feet off, he can definitely hear the conversation. You guys aren't being quiet, and twenty feet is not that far. And can uh, I just say, I, I want to, I want to just for for everyone listening, Corbin definitely knows he's always listening to the conversations. I know he. I'm trying to protect his like. I know he's trying to be discreet about it because he wants to be, um, you know, 
He, he doesn't want people to think he's always being nosy, I guess, but I know he's always listening. He doesn't seem to make any sort of reaction. I mean, honestly, in the time that you've been with him, he's always been a very like plain, even keel like attitude and doesn't really use those uh, facial expressions that Byroids have been given, you know, very mm-hmm. plain face. Uh, and yeah, Rio and response says, name is Katsu. He used to be a senior researcher uh, for Reinhardt Industries. Um, I'm Rio uh, Hemora's son. Um, yeah, so I don't know. You're you're kind of old, right? Did, did you know him? Can I roll for that? Yeah, you can. Because um... I did work for Goodson. Maybe I knew of him. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And um, this probably is we can finally use your former company man. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Uh, This would probably be a a no action. And um, while you're building that dice pool, I have rolled a 10 for difficulty, and I rolled an opportunity on the D6. Okay, so it looks like I got a 12. Nice. Uh, So with a 12, that's uh, successful. Yeah, you... um, So remind the audience again how long you were at Goodson Foundation, and also, I guess we've... I don't think we've like established like how old you are uh, just in general uh, because uh, Reinhardt Industries was a long while ago. I'll say that much, right? Um, you know, Reinhardt Industries was a thing when uh, the colony first made Whirlfall. And by Whirlfall, I mean crashing the side of the planet. Um, yep. And it it was basically not too long after that the rebranding happened to change from Reinhardt Industries to Reinhardt Research Hub. Uh, so it was only known as Reinhardt Industries for a few years. Uh, so this was quite some time ago. So I, I don't remember, and maybe you know somebody will let you know because I haven't listened to the first episode, but I may have mentioned the age, but I, I was going to put him somewhere like 32, 33, um, because he was definitely one of... <laughs> What? You would have been a baby during Worldfall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I've said, I know I've said I worked for Goodson for 10 years or so. Right. So I'm assuming I would have to be like super young, you know, 22, (laughs) and I started working for them. Yeah. But I think we've established that Corbin was sort of a bioroid genius, you know, and did the work of a whole team by himself in that respect. So, yeah. And when you know, when you have like a global population of roughly 100,000 people uh, today, yeah. you know, because there was a lot of people that were lost during the world fall event, uh, you can't uh, you can't just overturn geniuses uh, just because they're maybe on the younger side. Right. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think with your success, um like you recognize the name from like a short list, right? Because uh, when you were at Goodsum Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. I think what happened is like perhaps came across information at some point while you were there um, where people are sort of uh, referencing a sort of uh, event that happened uh, while you were a child, right? And uh, mm-hmm. this event talked about how both companies, Goodson Foundation and Reinhardt, lost some assets. Uh, there was a period of time where they were just losing biroids and clones. And, uh, you know, this Katsu is basically like the 
sort of Snowden, basically, of this <laughs> situation. He blew the whistle on uh, what was going on. Yep. And, you know, a lot of that information, the stuff that he blew the whistle on, uh, essentially uh, has been like out of the public mind for so long, uh, in part due to efforts to kind of just blow right past it, right? And it's been so long as yeah. well uh, that you don't necessarily know the details, I don't think. Uh, but you do know that there was like some sort of incident and, you know, this Katsu Himura, uh, along with a handful of other people, uh, were involved on whistleblowing and uh, there were allegations being thrown around that, you know, perhaps they were stealing the assets. So I would say that Corbin would, this sort of information at the time would be probably at the point where he was starting to get fed up. So this, well, wouldn't be important to most people because he was already thinking that something bigger was going on and he was starting to doubt his own role yeah. as bioroid technician and, and basically slave labor type stuff, Yeah, you know, for the bioroids that this would stick out to him. Now, would I, do I get to know what he did? Like, would that have been in the files or no? I don't think that would be in the files now. And okay. I would say like, this is perhaps when, when you were getting like fed up, this is perhaps uh, when you were like starting to hear about this again, um, because, mm -hmm. you know, people don't really talk about nowadays. And I think at the time they started talking about it because yet another, it had been a long while, but a batch of assets just mysteriously went missing. Uh, and mm -hmm. so people were referring to this like, Oh, geez, this must be like another Hamura incident or whatever, right? Yeah, so he became infamous for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think, just to go back to the actual what's happening in real time, mm. I think he would say the name, and I would be like, Katsu Hamura is familiar to me, that name. He was the one everyone was talking about. I mean, back when I was a kid, involved with or supposedly involved with incidents around bioroids and other assets going missing isn't that correct and uh, he's doing that kind of thing where like he's uh you could tell from his body language that he's a little bit nervous but mostly just kind of like yeah that was kind of me uh at least that's what his body language is saying um and he says well yeah you got that right I think I would have liked to, uh, or I think I would like to meet your father if possible. Well, you and me both. I haven't, haven't heard from him <laughs> and I haven't seen him in two years. I haven't heard from him in like a year and a half. And you mentioned, you mentioned a device, something that would let you find a group. Do you know, do you know anything about that group? Well, when I was a kid, my dad used to tell me about this, this place. He would essentially take people in, these clones and uh, biroids, and they would stay at our place for a couple of days, and then these people would come pick them up and take them away. And my dad always told me that they were going somewhere safer, somewhere to the north. Okay. Carl, what do you think about all this? It seems pretty, pretty, um, I don't really believe in fate per se, but awful lot of coincidences uh, here. I think Carl... Gives you a shrug, says, I do not believe in fates, Corbin Jones. I believe in numbers. And he stands up. But the probability of this happening 
Seems pretty slim to me. However, I don't exactly have the most up-to-date information. Where are the processors to be predicting the future like that? He begins walking closer. Mm. Corbin, I would like to continue on and perhaps get this fixed uh, when we get there. If you're okay with them, I am okay with them. I think this would be this would be a good idea. Rio, I know you don't trust me. I know that you're probably a little afraid of me. The story you just told, the the work your father was doing, something that I believed in 10 years ago when uh, I worked for a company, and I still believe in now. So if you'd like to go, you, you mentioned this place to the north. I think we might be heading to the same place. I'm not sure if... If it will be, you know, this way, but I have a suspicion that the clues to where your father might be might be where we're going. I think this is like the moment in television where, you know, you relay this information, him and Jess lock eyes. And then that's where I think we would start a new scene where we kind of jump forward a little bit uh, to the lot of you traveling Mm -hmm. once more uh, back on the road. You find yourselves in the woods again, but finally the trees itself seems to be thinning out. Uh, And we kind of see like more rolling hills uh, that also, you know, that's also a very like brief uh, time and space that we're seeing here. Now you finally arrive uh, in an area where, you know, you don't see the beach yet but you're starting to catch a whiff of the sea air. And it's a very much a similar experience to what we would expect uh, here on Earth. Let's go ahead and actually make a roll to kind of get a feeling for, because uh, this takes place over like much of the day. I think by the time you're arriving here, it's like six hours later, which is, is a bit of a hike, right? Uh, and not necessarily through comfortable terrain. Uh, so why don't we uh, get a roll going for like a physical plus move and you have your specialty there and then yeah. probably fringe world. Yep. Because for the majority of this, we'd be in the yeah. fringe. So, um, okay. Uh, and while you're putting that together, I've rolled a difficulty of 14. My 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 rolls have not been good, great this game. Uh, so I'm a little worried about that. I rolled nine and a seven. So uh, yeah, you you went out here. Uh, you just got two ones, which is perfect for me. I'm I'm just going to buy. I'm only going to buy one of them. I'm going to buy that D8 from you. Uh, raising okay. the danger zone here. I think uh, what I'm going to do is use that D8 to um, step up and a, a die uh, that's already in the danger zone to a D10. Uh, so we have a lovely D6, D8, and D10, uh, D and D10 in the danger zone. Perfect. So, well, not for you, but uh, yeah, you're otherwise successful. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a arduous hike uh trek through all of this but you finally made it during this time you know uh rio and jess are fairly talkative you know they seem to have moved past their arguments uh and they seem more and more like uh going back to 
being a sort of, um, I mean, honestly, they seem more like brother and sister with how they interact uh, than cousins, but you know, some cousins mm-hmm. act like that too. But in any case, yep. they trail behind, but not by uh, too far. And, uh, you know, it's you and Carl like leading the uh, pack here. When you arrive at this area where you can start smelling the uh, uh, sort of sea air uh, as the breeze uh, wafts in from the shoreline here, I think it is uh, Carl who says, All right, Corbin Jones, we are almost here. <sighs> we made good timing. I was, we got lucky, I think finding some of those trails you have a good eye for that kind of thing i've been out here a long time we need to acquire a seaworthy craft since we are missing the beacon uh we typically use a beacon to uh, signal to the flotilla Uh, the circle exists on a moving city formed by this flotilla that's interconnected or at least it was last i checked uh, and it's at this point that you finally crest a hill that finally reveals the long-awaited beach. We see a very expansive site. Uh, you know, we can see a couple islands off into the distance, but by and large, it appears to just mostly be open ocean. The ocean here uh, is a sort of sea pink, as it were, because, uh, you know, it's it's partly like reflect reflecting the magenta skies of Janus, uh, but also has some, a, a little bit of color change that makes it uh, closer to, I think uh, a violet, if anything really, but uh, in any case uh, you finally crest the hill here uh, and Carl is like scanning the horizon and he says, you don't happen to have a raft in that bag of yours. Do you? <laughs> No, Carl. Um, but let's let's take a look. You said you had a craft when you when you left, right? Maybe it's still here. Might be. And with that, he looks to the west. So this coastline is along the northern part of this continent, and so mm-hmm. uh, he looks to the west. Um, and you know you can see the shoreline uh, curving around, uh, and in the distance, you know it's, it's kind of forming this tiny gulf, and uh, you can see uh, that there appears to be actually uh, some structures off in the distance, maybe half a mile off. Well, yeah, unless we can find a craft, we're not uh, we're not making our our way forward anytime soon. Let's head towards those buildings and see what we can find. Okay. So uh, I think we cut ahead uh, to see y'all approaching these structures. Uh, What we have here seems to be a sort of, I think a sort of lighthouse and building situation. The lighthouse itself is a tower that uh, basically only goes up a good 20 feet up into the air. So uh, not that tall of a lighthouse uh, compared to to modern Mm -hmm. standards, right? And uh, the house itself seems to be small, squat, uh, and doesn't seem to be lived in. I think while you were on the walk over here, you know, Jess and Rio uh, have 
kind of lagged behind even more. They both had their shoes off. They're like testing the waves. Uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's cold. Uh, the I mean, it's middle of the winter. So you have that winter uh, breeze that isn't quite pleasant. But these two, you know, haven't been haven't been born here on Janus are not earthlings who have had the pleasure of seeing the ocean. Uh, and so they're kind of hanging back even further than they were, which is fine for, I think, the work that you and Carl are about to be doing. You approach uh, yep. here from like the sort of southeast. Uh, you have closest to you the house I mentioned, and then about a good 20 yards beyond that is the lighthouse. Uh, what do you want to do? Well, I think, I mean, you said it was a six-hour walk, right? And so it's got to be it's got to be close to evening, right? No, you left like mid morning. So it's like mid afternoon. Okay, I think we want to check out the house, make sure n- nothing or no one is living in there because I have a feeling, Corbin has a feeling that it's going to take a while to find this craft that we need. So we want to have a place to stay. So I want to check that out and see if there's anything useful in there. Uh, as you two make your approach, Carl says, if I recall correctly, there should be a shed on the other side of this lighthouse. I will check that, and hopefully, perhaps, we'll have some sort of watercraft that we can ride. Okay. I'll check the house, and uh, if we don't find anything today, we'll have at least a place, a safe place to stay. Carl nods uh, and proceeds to march forward. You approach the house. Uh, are you just kind of going in through the front door, which appears to just be on his hinges right now i'd like to not just walk in without any care um i maybe i'd like to see if i notice anything in terms of like anyone having been here or is it broken from the weather or is it broken from a creature that may be living inside mm, that sounds like a nose roll to me yep and the difficulty is set to eight Ooh, <laughs> you, you just keep feeding me those hitches, man. I do. I, I grabbed a hitch again. Great. Um, but I did make the roll. So yeah. it was eight, right? 13. So I got eight. And actually, uh, that's a uh, that qualifies you for a hero die. So you're going to get a D10 hero die. Yeah, so you are currently checking, uh, checking out this door. And I think not only do you uh, notice that you know, this door and, you know, the sagging roof of this house uh, seems to just have fallen in disrepair. It it's, must have been here for years and apparently hasn't been upkept in decades. Uh, but what you also see before you even um, enter uh, is that I think there is like, uh, you know, kind of glancing in, you see that this is a largely like you know, a single room affair. You have your kitchen in the corner there. You have what appears to be like a bedroom and stuff and very simple furnishings that appears to have been crafted from stuff in the surrounding environments. You notice that there is a seemingly like a trap door leading up to the attic uh, that is crafted in such a way that, frankly, you might not have noticed it, uh, especially given like how dark it is in here to begin with uh, due to his craftsmanship to make it look like it's just another part of the ceiling here. However, you uh, also notice that uh, there are uh, traps that have been laid here. 
there is a bear trap uh, that is laying just uh, within like this, like within a few feet of the door, just outside of the of any like natural light that might have been coming in to reveal it. Uh, you also notice that there appears to be uh, food on the on a table across the room from you. Uh, and as far as you can yeah. tell, it's not moldy at all. Uh, so it's, it's fresh food, uh, but you don't see anyone here. Well, then Corbin would assume that if this trapdoor to the attic is well hidden and the food doesn't seem to be spoiled, that perhaps somebody is in there um, above and trying to trap whatever creatures with these bear traps. So am I able to get to the door of the attic without springing yeah, these traps? It's a largely open room. And it's easy to kind of tiptoe around any traps. And you just got to notice them to be. I know it's sort of, yeah, I, I I know it's sort of broken, but I want to know if I can use the staff to like tap the door and see if anybody comes out. Like the, the, that. Are you, um, I guess you're not trying to be quiet if you're tapping the trap door, right? No, no. And I, I basically, I want to make my presence known, but I don't want to be like yelling because if there's traps out here and food out here, I don't want to attract things other than the person or thing that I'm trying to get to come out of the attic. Sure. Uh, so you tap onto the uh, trap door. Uh, if there is a trap that depends on the pressure of that, it doesn't doesn't spring. Uh, frankly, mm. the trap door doesn't seem to be blocked or latched in any way because simply tapping the uh, door, you know, it is kind of like heavy. So you don't like just push it open automatically, which is a couple of taps, uh, but does give like yeah. you get the feeling that you can just keep pushing it and you can just push it open. Okay. Before, before I go any further, are, is Rio and um, Jess still just like Yep. Hanging out on the beach. Yep. Uh, they're, they're probably like a good uh, 150 uh, yards off uh, hanging out on the beach. Uh, last you saw them, you know, they were sitting uh, just outside the reach of the waves uh, and letting the uh, coming in tides splash against their feet. Okay. I just want to make sure they weren't in any imminent danger. Uh, I'm going to try to sneak up to this attic carefully, make sure I don't. If there are any traps up there, I don't want to set them off. But I want to see what's going on up here. I'm going to spend a D10 from the danger zone. And I'm going to introduce a complication attached to the scene itself, which is, you know, um, uh, let's call it like uh, decrepit building. Yep. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and have you make another roll here as you stealth up mm -hmm. or sneak up. This, even though I spent this D10 out of the pool to create a complication, this complication is working against you. So it will feel like it never left the pool at all, but I assure you it did. And oh, I have set the stakes to 17. Mm, that doesn't really bode well for me, considering how I've been rolling. I'm sure it'll be fine. I think what I'm going to use is because it highlights skill sneak. I'm going to use my, I know I'm not being pursued, but I want to use the on the run okay. and then step it down to, to sort of represent mm -hmm. the de decrepit building. Okay. You're just wrapping up, uh, racking up these plot points. 
Yes, because I want to use them if I yeah. need them. Well, I mean, don't forget. I mean, you could be spending plot points to create like assets and stuff. And you also uh, don't forget to add your telescoping staff asset to this because that's where you're you're kind of have that in hand and you're kind of using this to help you out. I did forget I could create assets. So sure. And uh, as a reminder, that's a D8 for your telescoping staff. Yep. I remembered. I thought I was a D6 last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I think I'm already using the staff, but you know what? I can't think of anything. I'm just going to go with this. Uh, I can, I'm going to use the big damn hero dice too, since I can do that, right? Yeah, you can do that. And Yeah, we're looking at a total of 10. This would be a dramatic failure. Uh, so yeah, go ahead and spin that plot point to make that roll for the hero die. Yeah. Would that hero die have been a D6? No, it was a D10. So not dramatic failure, but still not a success. So you start off with 10 uh, against a 17. You then rolled your hero die, which only added four more. So you're sitting at 14. Now you could be spending plot points also to add uh, any of the other like additional dice to your total um, from what you had already rolled. Uh, so if you bought just one other die, uh, you can yeah. be successful here, I think. So you're buying the D4, uh, adding another four to your total. So yep. at 18, you are actually successful. I think what this kind of looks like um, is that you begin to climb up, but I don't think you realize that there was, in fact, like uh, a sliding ladder. Ladder, yeah, uh, that comes crashing down. And this actually almost causes you to stumble back into one of the bear traps. Because I want to say that there's like three bear traps that are kind of laid out across this room. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I think it's because of your telescoping staff that you, you know, you whip that out and manage to catch yourself onto the uh, ladder itself. You begin climbing that ladder into this attic, and it's actually a pretty large attic. And so I think. What happens here is uh, you, you see a bunch of stuff that has like tarps over them, uh, moldering. Uh, you can smell in the air. And additionally, you see toward the back of this attic, away from the trapdoor, a single device. I think it is the size of your average person's torso, sort of like a, a diamond shaped uh, sat like um, upside down. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you can see that the panels uh, along the side actually turn on like the, the light panels begin to turn on emanating a green glow uh, and just illuminating this otherwise dark attic for you. Um, this is sort of the kind of like effect where one light turns on and then the other sides because it has like these light panels all around it. Uh, and now you just kind of have this glowing upside down uh, diamond uh, before you. What do you do? First, I want to check and see if there are any other traps around this item before I take it. Because if there are three bear traps in, in, the, in the main floor, I want to be just like taking an item that I don't know if it has a trap on it. So, yeah, sure. Why don't you go ahead and make another check? This would be a notice. Ooh, I rolled an opportunity. Uh, so this is the first time in the session that the opportunity is like actually like relevant. 
because uh, remember, you can use opportunities to step down existing complications, such as the decrepit building complication, or step up an existing asset. Are you saying I have to use that or you're going to use that? No, opportunities are for you to use. You just have to spend a plot point to activate them. Oh, well, yeah, I'm going to do that. Okay. Are you stepping down the complication? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't want this building to fall on me. <laughs> okay. I'm looking for traps, so I'm trying to think... The device that I have or that I used before to sort of work on Carl when I first reactivated him, mm -hmm. I want to spend a plot point to sort of add that to see if I can interface with this to see if there has if there's any like alarm systems on it if it's moved too. Can I do that? Yeah, absolutely. So that starts off as a D6 asset. Can I step it up with another plot point? So I'll have to spend a total of three. I have a lot, so. Uh, no, you won't be able to step it up uh, okay. unless I roll like another opportunity. All right, cool. So um, unless you want to walk this back to where um, you spent a plot point to create the asset and then spent the plot point on the opportunity to then step up that asset. Uh, but that would mean the decrepit building complications back. To no, no, no. I want to step that down. That seems important yeah. to do Okay. With, with my luck today. So I'll add a D6. Yeah, I think you, uh, while you're making that roll, you're uh, making this approach to this device, uh, taking out your uh, tablet, foldable tablet, and uh, you begin to uh, try to connect with it. It's like emitting like a weak signal that you can just wirelessly connect to this. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, you begin to do so. It looks like you rolled That's a, a big success. That is a big success. It looks like you rolled a 16 to my 12. So not quite an extraordinary success, but you still, you were still successful. So, but yeah, this role was to just kind of, uh, notice something, right? So yeah, yeah you don't notice any traps first and foremost, get that out of the way. You do notice that, you know, there's a lot of dust here to include on this device as well. But you do notice that there are tracks in the dust on the floor that you certainly haven't made yet. Uh, they seem to be shooed, uh, but, you know, that can mean anything. And it, as far as you can tell, um, it, it appears to just be one set of footprints uh, moving all around, largely to and from this device to the trapdoor. Okay. Since I didn't notice anything, I'm going to pick it up. It's small enough, right? The device? Yep. It's the size of a person's torso. and ah, it, Oh, yeah. it's large. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty large. I can't take it, yeah. Yeah, no. it's pretty large. And, I mean, frankly, like, when you try it, it's kind of heavy. Like, it's not so heavy that you couldn't carry it, but it's also just kind of like this... It's kind of bulky. It's hard. Uh, it's awkward to carry to begin with, and you couldn't carry it like a far distance. Uh, do I get it? Do yeah. I get a sense of what it is? Is this the beacon that Carl was talking about? Yeah. So I think what you're doing here at this point is connecting to it, right? That's what you said you wanted to do was uh, yep. interface with it, and so you're being to like uh, check this out, and this does appear to be like an application like uh, beacon. We kind of have a shot uh, over the shoulder. Uh, where we can see what you're doing on your tablet. And, you know, uh, we can see that, like, the design of this is supposed to basically flower, right, where where the walls of this uh, becomes, like, less of a diamond and uh, comes out uh, to become mm -hmm. more of, like, a uh, dish. 
I don't need to know any more about this. Uh, I'm going to head back down and find uh, the rest of my crew and let Carl know what I found. Well, uh, see, here's the thing. Uh, As you're connecting to this and trying to uh, uh, figure it out, uh, which, you know, your uh, tablet automatically will just sort of give you an idea of what uh, this device is about. That's fine. Uh, But I think what happens is um, while you're like still like poking around, even just a little bit on your tablet, a authorization screen pops up one that seems to have just been popped up like unprompted and you know it's essentially asking for a passcode uh, and it doesn't seem to let you do anything else on your tablets while this is up can i not back out nope uh it seems the only thing you can interact with on your tablet right now is that passcode uh, authorization okay can i i mean it's not locking me corbin in place so no can i put the tablet down and leave. Yeah, you can do that. That's what I'll do. Yeah. Uh, So you retreat back down in the doorway. uh, You see the silhouette of a person and you hear uh, Rio's voice says, please tell me we're not camping in this place. No, no, Rio, we're not going to camp in this place. I think uh, I found what we needed, though, to to make the next step of our journey. But I don't think this building is safe enough to be in for an extended period of time. Don't come in. There's traps on the ground, by the way. Yeah, I wasn't planning to. He's uh, shivering in the doorframe now. Um, he's, at this point, put his shoes and socks back on. Uh, but I don't think he's used to just being this sort of, you know, I mean, he has weather-appropriate clothes. Yep. But not quite for such an open air. He's used to being in the forests, and it's not usually this cold with uh, this wind just kind of blowing Indeed. through the two of you. Um, so I think we have a shot where the two of you are walking away from the cabin, uh, perhaps regrouping with the rest. You know, uh, Jess was standing just outside uh, your line of sight in the door. Uh, so she's already there. And we have a shot of Carl heading down from the lighthouse to regroup with a lot of you. Uh, as we bring this to a close, however, our camera takes us back into the attic, onto the tablet that you have set down uh, pr- next to the device. Uh, we see that, you know, we have that uh, author- authorization challenge to you uh, that's still like on your screen. Uh, mm-hmm. But something else has popped up uh, where you seem to just now have like a timer. Uh, that popped up after you already said down and left. <laughs> and this timer is only good for a minute and it's already ticking down. Uh, and as we slowly zoom in on that, we also see, I think, a new light in the dark corner there and something approaching that tablet. And that's where we're going to end the episode. Corbin Jones was played by Tony. And all music and artwork was done by James Austin, whose other works can be found in the show notes. If you would like to keep up on the latest Starshot news, follow us on Twitter at StarshotPod. We'll see you among the stars.